invite you to turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. We're in the third leg of our journey. We've looked at the words of Jesus, the works of Jesus, and now we're looking at the people of Jesus. In other words, uh, for the last couple weeks and for the next several weeks, we're going to be looking in the mirror. For those of us here who call ourselves disciples of Jesus, for those of us who would say, I've put my faith in, in Jesus alone for my salvation. That's my creed. That's what I believe. Uh, we're doing a little bit of soul searching, uh, and we're asking the question, how much are we really following Christ? How much do his people really look like him? I want to suggest to you this morning, before we read this text, that uh, what we value most shapes our lives. Let me say that again. What we value most really shapes our lives. It directs our choices, right? Uh, it clearly leads us in the decisions that we make uh, and the behavioral choices uh, under which we live. So I'll give you an example. One of the things that our family uh, valued when our kids were little and growing up, we have three children, they're all now grown. Uh, we loved family time together, and we would take at least a couple of weeks every summer, if not a little bit more, if we could, if we could squeeze it in, and we would spend time together as a family. And we like to drive. We like road trips, uh, but we also like peaceful road trips. So that was a high value to us. And so one of the things that uh, that the decision that that made us make, Cindy and myself, was to ignore the, the, the information that was on the Benadryl bottle, which was clearly written by someone who had no children, okay? Because it says, don't give to children in order to make them drowsy. Now, what kind of knucklehead would write something like that on a Benadryl bottle? Of course, they need a little teaspoon of Benadryl, especially our middle child, Katie, before she got in the car. That was of high value to us. So I'm being a little bit silly, a little tongue-in-cheek, but you understand the point. What's most important to you? What's most important to me? Whatever that is, is going to shape the way we live our lives. With that in mind, the question that I want us to uh, look at this morning in this particular passage of Scripture is what are the values of Jesus' people? If I'm a disciple of Jesus, what, what are my values? Are they lining up with his? Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. You can follow along in your Bible or your iPad or on the screen. Here, hear the word of God. Talking about early Christians, the very first generation of Christians. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. Let's pray together. If you're like me, you've come from a, a very busy week, and you're probably looking forward to a very busy week. So I'm going to just have a moment of silent prayer for each of us just to ask God to calm our hearts and to teach us uh, this morning. Jesus, we come before you this morning to 
thanksgiving and worship and praise for who you are, for what you have done in our life. Lord, we also come to you uh, living in a very real world that has very real pressures and challenges, choices that we make day by day, opportunities to love you and to follow you and respond to your grace and other opportunities to go a different direction and live by a different set of priorities. And Father, every person in this room who, who is seeking to be a disciple of Jesus feels that pressure every day. But Lord, we, we need to understand your values and how they're imparted to us. We need to know what it means to live as disciples, to live as the people of Jesus. And Father, for those who are, who are here this morning and wondering what it means to, to be uh, what our culture calls a Christian, to be a disciple of Jesus, it's fair for them to look at us and to see if they can discern anything about that question. So, Father, I pray for all of us who are gathered here this morning. Whatever we claim to believe or not believe, Lord, we all need to hear your truth and your word. So, Father, I pray that you would quiet my heart as you would quiet our hearts, that we would be able to sit at your feet and hear your teaching, not my words, not my opinions. They don't count for any more than anybody else's. But, Lord Jesus, what you have to say is of eternal and profound significance. Lord, is that for which we stand? Forgive me my sins. Don't let me stand in the way of what you have to say. Help us to, to learn, to understand, and apply to our lives this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Well, let me give you the sermon in a sentence so you kind of know where we're headed this morning. It's uh, shaped in the form of a question, and it's simply this. How are the values of Jesus passed on to his people in order that his character may define their lives? There's a question, but there's also a statement in there. The question is, uh, how are the values of Jesus passed on to us, uh, knowing that it is crucial that his values, his character, define my life as a disciple. And if you're a disciple, define your life. We don't come to Jesus looking for good advice, maybe when we get in a jam and wonder what he would have to say. Rather, we come to Jesus and say, you are Lord, and you are King, and you are Sovereign, you are, you are my Savior, and I'm putting my trust in you for every aspect of my life. So what does that look like in our lives? And I think we have in these verses uh, a little microcosm uh, example out of the early church of how the values of Jesus impacted the very first Christians. I'm going to give you four observations out of the text this morning. The first, and they're all values, the first one is the value of learning God's word. The value of learning God's word. <clears throat> the passage starts out talking about the early church, these first believers, and it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Uh, and I want to suggest to you that, that Luke, when he wrote this, put that first primarily because he wants us to understand it is of the most significant importance. Whatever else I do as a disciple of Jesus, however else I spend my time serving others, uh, maybe volunteering in, in, in a local uh, shelter or, or a food bank or serving in some way in my community or serving in my church. All those things are important. All those things are, are incredibly important, but they all must come under the foundation of our lives, which is the Word of God. Jesus said as much in a passage we looked at a couple of weeks ago as we uh, moved into this particular sermon series where he spoke to his disciples while I was still on earth, and I've, and I've shortened up this passage a little bit. I've taken some of it out. But Jesus said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, teaching them 
to observe everything I have commanded. So the foundation for your discipleship, the foundation for my discipleship is not our opinion. It's not the latest book. It's not uh, an interesting article in Christianity Today, although there are plenty of wonderful, great things we can learn from Christianity Today. The foundation of our lives are the words of Jesus. And he directs every area of our lives. There's something in God's word that speaks to all sorts of situations in our lives. We can move on to the foundation of discipleship. Our work, our marriage, our family, social issues, money, human sexuality, leisure time, all of our attitudes and actions. And Paul summed it up this way. The Apostle Paul, who became a Christian shortly after we read uh, about this early church in Acts, he said, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or any activity in which you're involved in, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Well, how am I going to know how to give glory to God if I don't know his word? How am I going to uh, do what, what a lot of folks call thinking biblically, right? How am I going to put the authority of Jesus above every other influence in my life if I don't know his word? So before we, before we look at how to unpack the attitudes and the actions of our lives, we need to begin by saying we need to put a high value, perhaps the highest value, on knowing God's word. Now, I, I rarely do this in a sermon. I can't think of the last time I did it, but I'm going to break for a commercial. <laughs> okay, As I want to say, and now a word from our sponsors, but actually what I want you to do is watch the screen because we have a brand new resource that we're going to give to the congregation of Green Tree Community Church that is on this particular topic, on learning God's word. And it's a resource that, that is for all of us, and it's free for all of us. And so I want you to kind of get a picture of what it's about as far as learning God's Word. So uh, just to let you know how this is going to work, if you would like to take advantage of this, and again, it's, it's available for everyone, it's free for everyone, uh, you're going to be getting an email from us this week from Green Tree 
letting you know that you're going to get, be getting an email invite, I think I'm saying it the right way, uh, from this resource from uh, New Media. So when that reminder comes, right behind that, probably within the next uh, several hours, maybe even the next day, uh, you'll be getting an evite from Right Now Mini uh, Ministries, and you just let them know you're a member of Green Tree, you click on, very simple, you sign up, and then all of those resources are available to you. And you, I'm not going to repeat all the different ways you can use them, uh, but there, there are as many as there are folks. But it's a tremendous resource, and some of the teachers that were mentioned in the, in the, uh, in the promotion there are some of the best teachers in our generation. And so we really, uh, we don't just want to talk about the value of learning God's word. We want to make it available for everybody. So when those emails come, take advantage of it, sign up, and you will then have that at your disposal. So that's our first observation in this text, the value of learning God's word. The second is the value of what James Montgomery Boyce called common participation with God. Common participation with God. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, okay? Now, this word in, in the Greek, so is a, it's kind of a catch-all phrase. It doesn't just mean like a hall where you go, like our, our new church building. We have a big lobby, and we've been walking through the building a couple times and kind of seeing how it's going, and a couple times people have said, oh, here's the fellowship hall, and that's never really been a phrase I've loved. Uh, as you can tell, I like to say it's a great big lobby, uh, but call it whatever you will, this word fellowship kind of has several different connotations. And so I've listed several of them there. The idea of worship, when we come together, we have fellowship in worship. But we also uh, establish friendships with one, with one another. It uh, is the foundation for our hospitality, uh, that we, do we want to be in relationship with each other. And it's all based on God's friendship with us in Christ. So when they devoted themselves to the fellowship, they, they devoted themselves to this kind of this life together. In 1 John, the Apostle John, who was one of the people that these folks were sitting under his teaching, he put it this way a few years later. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim to you, so that you may, too may have, and here's that word, fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So we worship God, we're in friendship with God, God has been hospitable with us, and all of that is found in this word fellowship. So it's, it's the notion that you experience God's grace through Christ. Along with that grace, you're also taught God's word, and as, as that happens in your life, one of the end results is what I'm going to call uh, relational warmth. It's what we call a green tree community. I say we're a community with one another. It doesn't just mean we live in the same local area. It means that we're kind of doing life together. And that was something to which these early Christians committed themselves. Why? Because that was a value of Jesus. Go and look in Mark chapter 1 when Jesus calls the first disciples. And what does it say? He chose 12 that, they might, that he might be with them and that he might send them out to preach. He wanted the disciples just to be around him and hang out with him. Why? He wanted that fellowship so they could learn and they could experience life together. Uh, a few weeks ago, I think it was about three weeks ago, the Stephen Ministry, we have Stephen Ministry here at Green Tree, they had their national meeting in St. Louis. So there are hundreds of Stephen Ministries from all over the country. And uh, one of the leaders called me and said, would you be willing to participate 
in a video that we're making to kind of publicize Stephen Ministry. And I'm like, well, yeah, if I'm the best you can do, I'll be happy to help out. So I went to the Renaissance Hotel up by the airport, and for an hour, uh, a couple of folks interviewed me and asked me questions about your, about my experience with Stephen Ministry. And one of the questions they asked was, what was the relationship like? What was it like to, to, to have this Stephen Ministry? And the word that just popped into my head and popped out of my mouth was, it was natural. It was We were just buddies. But I was in a tough time in my life. It was when my dad was, was sick and eventually passed away and, you know, just kind of needed somebody to listen and to talk to me and, and you know, not try to fix me, but just kind of share it with me. But it was the most natural thing in the world. I never thought, uh-oh, my Stephen minister's coming today. I better get ready. I better prepare my answers for the questions he's going to have. I better think about what this time is going to be like. He walked in. He said, hey, we sat down and we started talking. Paul says that's the value, or Luke says in, in Acts chapter 2, that's the value of Jesus that ought to be seen in our congregation, in our community. The value of learning God's word, but also the value of common participation with God. Thirdly, the author of Acts points us to the value of formal and informal worship. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread, which is what we're going to do this morning and celebrating communion, and to the prayers. And notice that that's how it's written, to the prayers, not to prayer. And there's a, there's a bit of formality there that says when they got together, and we'll talk about both publicly and privately in just a minute, but whenever they got together as disciples, prayer was always included. Prayer was always involved. So we've prayed a couple times already in this worship service. We will pray uh, at least two more times uh, that I know of, uh, once at the end of the sermon and once before we come to the Lord's table. Uh, anytime you come to Sunday morning worship at Green Tree, prayer will be involved. And you're probably going, well, gee, that's a real revelation, Tom. <laughs> but is there prayer in each one of our lives? Is there prayer in our lives in the smaller context of worship? There's prayer formally when we gather all together. So day by day, attending the temple together, that's the idea of, of kind of regular worship, of, of ongoing time when corporately we gather together and we sit under God's word and we sing praises to him and we pray and we share with one another and we grab some coffee and donuts, we, we, we hang out together and we do life together. We do that formally together, and I want to encourage you to be active in formal worship. Uh, we're all on the go. We all have a million things to do, and it's very easy to, uh, to look at my life and go, man, I'm glad I got to church once this month. That really helped me. Uh, in fact, today, statisticians are telling us that regular church attendance is defined as two Sundays a month. And I want to suggest to you with all humility and grace in general, that ain't going to cut it. Not if I really want to be a disciple of Jesus, not because that's what I have to do, in order for God to love me, but worship is, is getting my head right with Christ. Worship is getting to be with you guys and to be encouraged when you walk in and you say good morning to me. I stand in the back now. I used to stand in the front at, as a service. I stand in the back now just because I like to say hi to people when you come in. And when I see you, it does my heart good. Most of you. I won't tell you which ones you might. No. All of you. It does my heart. And I hope it does your heart good when you walk in for me to say hello to you. Why? Because that formal coming together, hey, we're doing this together. We are fellow disciples in Christ. Don't neglect the worship of God, corporately speaking. Make it a high priority in your life. But there's also an informal worship. There's a, there's a smaller 
uh, worship, which includes all of these ingredients. And it says, together and breaking bread in their homes. In other words, whether Luke is talking about family worship or small group worship, I think he's probably including all of that. That should also be part of our lives. Uh, as we saw in the little video commercial there, you know, once a week is not the only time spiritual questions pop up. Once a week, you know, you say, okay, I'm going to hold all my questions for Sunday morning, and I'm sure when I get there, they'll all get answered. No, and God has not wired us that way. So he's called us into a, a, a tight-knit community that has informal, smaller community group gatherings, family worship, where w- life happens and faith is applied. If you've ever had the opportunity to be in a, in a small group or community group for three or four years with the same folks, it's really a pretty profound experience. Because in three or four years in anybody's life as an adult, you're going to go through some highs, right? And you're going to go through some lows and, and a lot of stuff in between. And I can't tell you how much time I've, I've spent in hospital rooms. Not because I'm the pastor, but because of somebody in my community group. I can't tell you how often I've, I've prayed with or for someone, or had a group of people pray for me and pray for Cindy and pray for our family, not because there was some big deal going on, the church gathered together, but we were with each other. We were worshiping God, either as a family or as a, as a spiritual family, a smaller part of Green Tree Community Church. I want to encourage dads and moms this morning. I know family worship is hard. I'll, I'll take another step. I know family worship is next to impossible, right? And I'm a trained professional. Okay, so if I struggle with family worship, I get it. I understand it. But it's something that we need to practice and we need to we need to work towards having an experience for our children from the earliest ages where they can ask their questions about God and get some answers from dad and from mom, where we're intentional about sharing our faith with the next generation. The 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 values of Jesus include formal and informal worship of God. Why? Because he knows it edifies our souls. So if these are the are the values of Jesus, if the values of Jesus are learning God's word, you know, fundamentally doing life together as disciples and formal and informal worship, what happens in our lives? What should the outcomes be? You know, if though if I'm going to set those as values, if I'm going to say, "Okay, I get it. I understand it. I'm going to apply that to my life. Those are going to be my values. What's going to happen in my life and in the lives of the people around me?" And I think this text speaks to the result of these common values. The first is found in verse 43. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Excuse me, I will tickle my toes. God's power through God's people. There were miracles that were taking place through the apostles. Now, I want us to be careful here to not go one of to one of two extremes. One extreme would be to say, well, there were only uh, the, the 11 apostles, and Paul was later on, and once those guys died off, there are no more miracles because there are no more apostles in that formal sense where Jesus gave them that identity. And I would say half of that statement is true. There are no more apostles. If anyone ever defines himself or herself to you as an apostle, you should turn around and walk away or at least ask some very significant clarifying questions because only Jesus appointed apostles. Jesus appointed a lot of disciples, calls a lot of disciples, but only a few people are apostles. But I think it would be wrong to say that the only miracles that God ever did were through his apostles. Clearly, Scripture points in a very different direction. However, at the same time, I think the other extreme is a little bit dangerous, is that say, we're going to make miracles the main thing we're about. 
You know, if we don't see miracles, then something's wrong here. We just, we got to see more miracles. I've been at Green Tree for almost 17 years. I've seen miracles at Green Tree. I've seen people be healed at Green Tree. And I've seen people get sick and die at Green Tree and not be sick. And I think God's power works through his people, but we keep it in appropriate balance as scripture does. But clearly where God is present in his people, he is going to work. And sometimes when he works, we're going to go, wow. Not sure how that happened other than the absolute power of God. Another result should be compassion. Look at verse 45. Not only God's power working through God's people, but in verse 45, they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And I've underlined as any had need. The sense there is, is the idea of looking around our world and saying, Boy, so-and-so's going through a hard time right now. How can I help them? That's a compassionate thought. A compassionate thought just doesn't say, oh, boy, I feel sorry for George over there. He's having a tough time. And then kind of going down the road and doing my own thing. Compassion says, George is having a tough time, and it seems that God's given me the ability to help him, so I'm actually going to go do that. I'm going to go be involved in caring for someone else. One of the results of knowing the word of God One of the results of being in fellowship together and being in worship together is that we care well for those around us. Why? Because it's not only compassion, but it's also generosity. If you look at verse 45, it says, they were distributing the proceeds to folks who had need, and day by day they received their food with glad and generous hearts. What's the attitude behind the care? So if I look look at George over there and he's struggling, I say, I want to go help him. And I've got the wherewithal and I do that. What's the motive behind that? The motive behind that is generosity. The motive behind that is it's not compassion could just say, boy, that's too bad. I wish I could help, but I, but I don't think I can. But generosity says I might even have to sacrifice something in order for George to be okay, but it's well worth it. That's the attitude behind the action. When I, when I think of the stories that we hear over the years of events like 2028 uh, or events like Home for Hope, you, you always hear fundamentally the same story, don't you? It did more for me than it did for the other people I was helping, right? Well, that speaks to God changing our hearts. That speaks to the fact that when compassion and generosity come together, we end up wanting to help. We want to do more. We're moved by the need. And that's because the word of God is penetrating our hearts. That's because in the context of community, someone maybe along the line has been compassionate or generous with us and taught us the way. And they've laid the foundation for our lives to be different so that we can help others. That's a direct result of the value of Jesus. And the last one I'll mention this morning is simply the, 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 the value of joy. Not only is it God's power working through his people, compassion, generosity, but, but they had glad hearts, praising God favor with all the people, and and folks were being saved. What's a direct result of the value of Jesus applied to our lives? There's joy in our lives. That doesn't mean that we're just happy and giddy all the time. Sometimes terrible things happen. Sometimes we're brokenhearted. But even in that context, we have the joy of our salvation. And in those moments, it it may be the very thing that allows us to hang on in, in the midst of the turmoil. There's always a sense of praising God. There's a sense of putting God where he belongs, which is on the throne. And when that happens, people look at us and go, there's something really interesting about that group of people. What is it about those folks at Green Tree that that kind of is setting them apart? 
It's certainly not because they're really good people, because we know them, and they're just like us. What they're seeing and experiencing is the values of Jesus working their way into your heart and my heart, and then working their way out in the way in which we live our lives. And some people, that's what God uses to go, well, maybe I want that for me. Maybe I should look to Jesus for salvation. So the question is really quite simple this morning. Do the values of Jesus define our lives and abound here in Easter Sunday? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we bless your name because you have given us these values, these characteristics. They don't come from us because we're good people and we're nicer than everybody else. We're just, we're church folk and, and that's how we're supposed to live. Lord, if those values are present at Green Tree, it's because your spirit and your word is alive in our hearts. It's because Jesus has passed it on to us. Father, I thank you that you care not only for our salvation, but you also care for our lives in this world. And so you give us your word, and, and it's a lamp to, the psalmist says, it's a lamp to our feet, it's a light to our path. It shows us the way if we will listen, if we will study, if we will read. Lord, I thank you for this new resource at Green Tree. I'm so excited about it because it's now your word is really literally at our fingertips in so many ways. I thank you that when that penetrates into our life, it's in the context of doing community with one another, that this fellowship is this notion of, of a deep and abiding friendship and, and fellow discipleship with one another that includes uh, caring for one another and, and worshiping you. Lord, I thank you that, that you have given these things to us as gifts. Father, we see all of them represented in the table of our Lord Jesus and the ultimate sacrifice that he did for us. And so, Lord, I ask that, that these characteristics, these values would abound in our lives, that they would be overflowing in our lives. Because when that happens, people wonder, and people come and ask questions, and they meet Jesus. And ultimately, that's what all of this is about. We give you praise, we give you worship, we give you glory for, for passing these characteristics on to your church. We pray that we would embrace them we would live in them faithfully. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you can't preach a sermon where it includes the breaking of the bread and not have communion, right? This is such an appropriate morning for us to celebrate the Lord's Supper uh, because we're reminded for some 2,000 years, this is how our forebearers in Christ, right up to our present generation, have been reminded and have celebrated the sacrifice of Christ for us. And that's what we do here together at Green Tree this morning. This is not the table of Green Tree Community Church. Uh, this is not some religious activity we do to get God to love us or to like us a little more, to turn a blind eye into what we did last week, right? This is the table of the Lord Jesus. And it's a picture of his body that was broken and his blood that was shed. So all those things that I did last week that I'd like to forget about right now, and really hope that you didn't notice or see, right? I can bring those and I can lay them at the feet of Jesus and ask for his forgiveness. And know that it's freely given. Know that there's no sin uh, in my life that isn't covered by the blood of Christ. And so I can come with humility. I can come seeking, again, the grace of